Welcome to the Christian Renewal Church Sunday Sermon. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit ChristianRenewalHHI.org. Amen. Good morning. Time for the Word. Got your Bibles? You love your Bibles? Is that the number one book in your life? Yes. You know, we used to hold up the Bible and oh, you got your Bible or your phone. You hold it up and you say, this is the word of God. I believe it from all the way to the maps. <laughs> That's right. It's a light unto my path. It's a sword for my battle. It is bread for my soul. I live by it. Lord, we ask that you change our lives through your word. Amen. Well, open that Bible to Acts chapter 6. We're still, we're back in Acts again. We took a break for Resurrection Sunday and walked with a couple fellas down the road to Emmaus. And we're going to continue on. We stopped in In Acts chapter 6, we read the first seven verses and we looked at uh, what was happening in the early church at that time. Uh, There's tremendous revival going on through Acts 1 through 5. Lots of miracles, signs and wonders, and tremendous growth in the church. By this time, there's tens of thousands of believers in and about Jerusalem. And I mean, really, this is an upheaval. It's a religious upheaval that's going on in Israel at this time. Tremendous revival. And with revival comes people, and with people comes problems. Let me plant that seed right there uh, about growth. That's exactly what happens, you know. Uh, The light draws all kinds of bugs, you see. And uh, there is all kinds of people and all kinds of problems and they had a problem and the problem was there was a complaint that arose among them that some of the widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of the food and so I'm going to look at verse 12 2 in in chapter 6 so the 12 to answer this problem summoned the congregation of the disciples and said it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and we're going to be looking at the life of Stephen today. And they chose Stephen Uh, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And there were six other men that were chosen. And these, verse 6, were brought before the apostles after praying. They laid hands on them. And the word of God kept on spreading. And the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. And so what we saw a couple weeks ago was there was a problem And then applied to that problem was some government. And we talked about how government is 
is ordained of the Lord. Government in all aspects of society, all aspects of our life, there's government. And when government's applied, it brings order and it, and it brings really a provision for God uh, to have his way in our midst. Uh, I, there's many examples in the scripture. When God brought the slaves out of Egypt, the first thing he did is he brought government to them. They were set in order, set in order of their tribes uh, around the tabernacle, and they were given the law. And so uh, God's order came to them. Uh, we also see in the book of Judges, uh, when every man was doing what was right in their own eyes. And the result was that there was bondage. They were being oppressed by the Syrians and they were being oppressed by the Philistines and all those other nations around them because they were not in the order of God. And so what did God do? He gave them government. He gave them judges you see, to lead them. And so you can see in the Scripture that uh, government is God's way and, and God's order. And that's what we discussed two weeks ago. Now, the result after that, of course, was the revival continued to spread. Now, we're going to begin reading again in verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including Cyrenians and Alexandrians and some from Sicilia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. But they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. And they put forth false witnesses who said, This man incessantly speaks against this holy place, meaning the temple, which was very sacred, and the law. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene Jesus, I think it's very interesting, they're not talking about a dead man here, they... Uh, you know, they're still referring to him that this Jesus will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. Now, in the, the life of Stephen, there's there's so much here in the scriptures. As a matter of fact, we have 28 chapters in the book of Acts and we have a whole chapter and a half devoted to the story of Stephen. So there's some there's a lot of significance here. Uh, one, he was the first martyr uh, of the church, of the early church. He was a foreign-born Jew. He was a Hellenist. He was Greek-speaking. And for us in our, t- our study today, he is a fine example of a fully devoted disciple, one that we can gain some inspiration and some principles from. And so what we see here in uh, uh, in this story is that these seven men were selected by the congregation of disciples and it wasn't on a volunteer basis you know the first seven people to raise their hands take care of this problem there were some qualifications and the first qualification was that they had a good reputation a good reputation and this was the congregation's opinion of these seven men 
they chose seven from among themselves. And they saw that Stephen was a man of good character, a man of reputation. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, he said this. He said, character is like a tree. Reputation is like the shadow. The shadow is what we think of this person, but the tree is the real thing. See? Reputation follows our character. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1 says, A good name or a good reputation is more to be desired than great wealth, and being held in high esteem is better than silver and gold. Our reputation, very important. So, you know, I, I just got to thinking, you know, what if we had a situation, a problem, something that needed to be administrated? And uh, it was up to all of us in this room to pick seven men of good reputation. Who would we pick? Now, your mind's right now searching through all the relationships in the church. Who are the ones of good reputation in our house? Uh, because it becomes in time, in relating to one another, we can see one another's character. We see one another's strengths. We see one another's weaknesses. We see one another's intelligence, or lack thereof. We see one another's passions, our devotion, our honesty, our trustworthiness. This is what shines forth out of each one of us. And so... uh, we know in this house, you know, who's connected, you know, who's regular, who, who attends, you know, connect groups, who's there at work days, prayer meetings. Our devotion is seen. It's evident. Our faithfulness is evident. Our humility, our kindness, our faithfulness. Who can keep their word? Who can keep a secret? <laughs> you know, all these make up our and not only the positive things you know but the negative things we know who the complainers are we're taking we're taking notes we know who the gossips are our character is evident it's as evident as if we had a a sign that we're wearing you know i was going to bring my sign and i was going to hang it around my neck you know handsome then i was going to turn it over and it was going to say humble too so we reflect our character and God of course sees beyond what we see in the outward he looks upon the heart and so he's looking for character and it is character that God promotes someone said the character is who you are when no one's looking because they can always pretend can't they so far but God sees the heart. Now, we're going to look at the characteristics that mark Stephen's life. And in verse 3, here was the qualifications, number one, of good reputation, full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. So spirituality was one of the characteristics to be appointed unto this task, and that is to be under the influence and control of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, observing Stephen's life, the fellow believers could see him to be proven, prudent, um, and that can be observed by the way someone conducts their finances, someone conducts their family, the way someone con- conducts their time. We can see wisdom expressed there. And in verse 5, 
in describing Stephen when they chose him. He said he was a man full of faith. This is conviction of the truth. He fully relied upon Christ for salvation. And of course, our faith in God becomes evident by its good works and by obedience. Verse, verse 8, it says this, uh, that Stephen and Stephen, full of grace and power. Now, your, your Bible may say faith, again, faith and power. Uh, a lot of translations put the word grace. It is, it is the word faith, pistis. But it's a faith that, uh, it's a gifting for ministering to others because it says he was full of power performing great signs and wonders. I mean, this was a gifted man. And I believe he was gifted with the gift of faith. He was full of faith. He was full of grace from heaven for ministry. Not just his salvation, but his ministry to others. And so, even though he was graced by God with, with this wonderful gift of faith for great signs and wonders, he was still willing to serve tables. Now, that's a good sign of character right there. Now, Susan points this out. You know, I, have, I, I preach to her you know, every morning, and she's got to pray for her. She, she's, 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 got, she's, she's got one eye open. She's drinking her tea. And, oh, let, let me show you what I'm seeing in the Bible. And bless her heart. She's so patient. It's her character. You can see. She, she says this. She points that, that she sees and believes that Stephen had an ability and a humility to work in team. You know, not everybody has that. Uh, but one that has the ability to work in team. And that, that's a wonderful characteristic. And so these are some of the characteristics that marked Stephen's life. And then, then we see a testing of his character and a testing of his life. In verse 9, they rose up. These men, these Jews rose up. He, they were stirred and they argued with Stephen. Now here we go. We're starting to get some opposition. And, and then we see in verse 11 a conspiracy against him. They secretly induced men to, to tell a side of the story or to tell a lie that's just not true. And so his reputation is now under attack. And in verse 12, they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came up to him. They confronted him. Now we're getting physical. And they drag him away and they bring him before the council. And this is the Sanhedrin. These are the 70 men, the 71 men in Israel that, that are the political ruling party there in Israel. What they say goes. This is a sane council that Peter and John stood before. It's the same council that put Jesus to death. Now that sounds like a little pressure as well. And so what we have is we have Stephen's character under pressure. He's being squeezed here. And then we see in verse 12, and they dragged him away. In verse 13, they put forward false witnesses. And then they're touching some of the issues that would just rile up this council, and that is to talk about the temple, to make accusations about one of the most holy, sacred cows that they have was that building, because that's the building where God lived. And so it was really getting stirred up here. 
And so he's under attack. And then we see later on after his defense, and when we come to the end of his defense, which is the whole chapter 7, they were enraged. And uh, I should probably go ahead and read that. After he spoke to them, and we'll get into chapter 7, verse 54 says, when they heard this, when they heard what Stephen was doing in his speech, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. Man, they were stirred. And being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice and they covered their ears and they rushed at him with one impulse. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him in violation of Roman law. They were so enraged, you know, they just went ahead and they dragged him outside the city and began to kill him. And so Stephen becomes the first Christian martyr. Now since then... Millions of Christians have been tortured and killed for their faith. And the 20th century, the one that we've lived through, alone, more Christians were killed for their faith than in previous centuries combined. There is a hostility against Christianity like the earth's never seen. Uh, And we saw this in the 1900s when there was the Boxer Rebellion in China, the Soviet Union, the Eastern Europe countries... In several other countries, the anti-Christian attitude and hostility that even brought many martyrs. Uh, There were 900,000 in a 10-year period up to just recently. And that's 90,000 Christians a year being martyred. And that's because of the ethnic wars in Africa, in the Middle East, and in Asia. You know, we can't, we don't, we're not touched by it too much here on Hilton Head. (laughs) But there's a lot of Christians whose lives and their character are under pressure around the world, especially with the uprising of Islamic fundamentalism. And, you know, we, we can do see the news where Christians are beheaded, they're burned, they're executed. And the, the Christian population in Iraq alone has plummeted from 1.5, one and a half million in 2003 to today, about 275,000 people. That's the pressure that's against Christianity. Now, have you ever wondered how you would behave under such circumstances? I think we all have. Would I be able to stand in the grace of God? Would I have the resolve to even face martyrdom, to have stones thrown at me? That's a good question. Well, I I would answer, first of all, this. I believe that there would be a special grace in that hour for you that would empower you and enable you to stand on the things that you believe. That's that's our wonderful God. And, you know, even in a lesser way, we, we we have known the grace of God that has met us at the point of our need. But since we never face such circumstances, at least right now, unless I, let's, let's have a missionary call right now. Let's, let's get our tickets and let's send you to all the places of the world. 
But here in Hilton Head, we're not going to face that kind of thing. And so the better question for us to ask is, how do we fare under lesser difficulties? How is our character expressed in the trials that we face? And we do. We all face adversities. We face trials, uh, crisis. We have storms and preachers, I mean pressures. That's that preachers are pressures enough. Sometimes it's just inconvenience, you know, that will expose our character. I mean, you know, some of the worst suffering that Christians sometimes go through is losing the remote, the team, you know, that's all. That's the great tribulation, you know. I, I got a new word for that. It's called no remophobia. Anyway, our response to our difficulties reveals our character. And so here we see Stephen is in the fire of persecution. He's being accused. He's being lied about. He's before the council. And I want you to see what's coming out of him in verse 15. Verse 15, and fixing their gaze. The council was looking upon him. Fixing their gaze, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of of an angel. The pressure was on and what was being revealed in Stephen was godly character. I have to admit and confess that when difficulties arise, I don't always have the face of an angel. Do you? (laughs) But this is what was going on. Who he was on the inside was coming forth under the pressure of persecution. You know, I've, I've used this illustration before and it, it comes to me right now. I mean, think about a think about a nice big yellow sponge that's been sitting in a mud puddle for years and years and years, okay? buried. And you you dig it up, and you know it was in the garden, and you you're digging it up, and you take that sponge and you squeeze it, and this gunk. This mud just squeezes out of it. Well, you can spray it off, and you've got that pretty yellow sponge all over again. But if you squeeze it enough, out, it's going to come some more. And you just wash it off and wash it. And you keep squeezing it and keep squeezing it until you can squeeze that thing and nothing comes out but the pure water. You know, this is a lot of what trials and pressure do for us. Uh, they exposes who we really are. And what we really know and, and the godliness that's been rooted and instilled in our souls. Because the, what gets expressed oftentimes, you know, are, are, are things from the past. You know, hurts and uh, wounds that we received even as children. And when the pressure's on, oh, it, you know, it shows up again in my life. See? And so this is our character. This is the, the nature of our souls that gets exposed in persecution. And, and when I look at Stephen, he's got the face of an angel. I think he was a devoted disciple that had yielded to the process of God in his life so that at this moment, at the height of pressure, his very life on the line could come forth with godly response. I think he's going to be one of my new heroes. Stephen's a good example for us. Now, 
everyone here, our character, will be tested. It's going to be tested. Gets tested by God. Gets tested by circumstances. Uh, we don't have to have our life on the line to see our character manifest. It, it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't take too much. I can remember my sister Anita telling me a story. She shocked us. She said uh, <clears throat> she got cut off in traffic, and uh, you know she was all upset. And and uh, before she knew it, she was flipping that driver off. <laughs> And if you don't know what that means, is she was giving him a, a half a peace sign. You, you, you understand? And it was just like, where did that come from? You know, sometimes we don't know what's in us until the pressure's on. I can remember Susan saying many times, she didn't realize the level of her own faith until she hits a crisis. And so it is these, these storms and these crises that helps us measure ourselves of where we are in God. You see? Don't flip anybody off this afternoon, please. Our response reveals our character. Now, there are good things, bad things, and small things that will reveal where we are in this process of sanctification. The good things are, you know, success. Success will test your character. Money always tests our character. Either the abundance of it or the lack of it will bring things out of our own hearts. The praise of men or the rejection of men will bring forth some response out of us. You give a man a position of power and watch what happens. His character will come forth, what he does with that power, whether he serves with that power or he becomes arrogant with that power. And the bad things, of course, would be hardship. Many lose their faith when they encounter hard things, hardship. They get hurt. That's it. I'm, I'm done with God. When somebody's offended or hurt, the response can be bitterness and verbally strike back. When you don't like how things are being done or the speed at which they are being done, there is a response that comes forward that will say something about our character. Oftentimes it's grumbling. We don't know anything about this. Oh God, we're meddling now. Help me. Help me, Jesus. Uh, how about when that blue light comes on behind you? Has anybody had that recently? Well, you know, There's some kind of response that gets stirred up on the inside of you. Today we're not getting stones thrown at us, but words get, can get thrown around, and words can hurt. We can be falsely accused, and sometimes the response when someone is lying about me can be, I can explode in anger. Don't like it. Don't like to be mistreated. But our, our standard here is to be patient when wronged and being criticized or corrected. Whatever is rooted in my soul still to be sanctified will take over at that time. Now, good things, bad things, small things. Small things can reveal character as good as anything else. You know, when you're overlooked, forgotten, snubbed, avoided, rejection can rise up and, 
an attitude of rejection can rise up on the inside of you. When you're inconvenienced, when you're, <laughs> when you're in Walmart, returning something at Walmart, we've all had that experience, right? Because you're returning that coffee maker that when you open it up, it already had grounds in it, <laughs> you know? And, and then you stand in line for a half hour when there are four registers, but there's only one open, and, and they're having a little chit-chat that morning about, you know, Sister Susie, and then you're standing there patiently, right? This, this, this is it. Yeah, and when you're in a hurry, this is, this is where our character comes forth. So the small things. Uh, so there are times when, well, I don't know, I think we all have times of failure, you know, where the wrong responses come out. And you're, you're surprised, maybe even disgusted about what comes out. I mean, there's an outburst of anger. You find that there's critical comments coming out of your mouth. Uh, uh, there's a circumstance that comes and you bow to the fear of man. And, and you're less than truthful when the pressure is on. How much pressure does it take to move you into a lie? It's like the little boy in Sunday school. Always that little boy in Sunday school. He was defining lying for the teacher. And he said, lying is abomination to God and a very present help in time of trouble. <laughs> now, the first thing, of course, I think we know the path. The first thing when we do fail in our character is to own up to it. Um, rather than, you know, because there's a part of our flesh that just wants to justify our behavior. It's, to, you know, it's like we all got this lawyer on the inside. You know, I think I got a whole dream team on the inside of me that justifies my dark behavior, why I acted this way. It's their fault. You know, it's Obama's fault. You know, it's, it's somebody else's fault. And so blame shifting is, is one of the uh, big things that can happen to justify a stinky attitude or a response that's coming out of our lives, it's easy to blame it on the circumstance or, or other people. You know, you say, man, that person makes me so angry. Oh, no, 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 that person doesn't make you. That person just reveals the anger that is still within your soul. So God is in the business the Holy Spirit is in the business and the Word of God is in the business of a cleansing work for our souls, which is called sanctification. And so if I understand the process, I understand that problems and trials are all opportunities. Now there's a perspective. I think James had that perspective when he said, rejoice when you encounter various cutoffs in traffic. Hallelujah! Rejoice when the line is 20 people long and there's only one register open. When you encounter various trials and circumstances in our lives. So that we know that. Now, what I want to do is in the life of Stephen, I want to look at two big factors that I see that I think are good principles uh, that have been at work in the life of Stephen. And I want them in my life. And the word that sticks out here the most to me in this chapter 6, is the word fullness. He, it, 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 how many times have we seen it? He was full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. He was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of grace and full of power. Okay? 
So, and then, you know, if his face is like the face of the angel, an angel, he was full of glory. He was full of the very substance of God coming out of him. So fullness, uh, what I, the principle is this, what fills our heart is what will spill out of our heart. It's what spills out of our life. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 says this, Do not get drunk on wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, I, I take this verse with a little broader tra- uh, tr- interpretation. Yeah, you can get filled with wine, but what this says to me is that we are containers. Human beings are containers. Our makeup is such that we can get filled with whatever we want to get filled with. I can get filled with work. I can get filled with wine. I can get filled with worldly pleasures. I can get filled with the devil if I want. You know, I when I know we all have different practices to help us relax. Uh, and if I, if I have to get up in the morning and... Or, you know, and there's some days, you know, these days we drop off at about 9.30 <laughs> at our house. But sometimes at 9.30 I'm still kind of buzzing a little bit and I need to unwind. And, and here's how I do it. I, I, it's a confession. Uh, I, I, I get on Pandora and I turn on 40s music. I, lo- I love 40s music. I love the bit. I did, but yes, I love the big band music, you know, uh, Tommy Dorsey and uh, Glenn Miller and, you know, uh, the, the other guy, with, I wrote him down here, I, I like him a lot. With the, well, anyway, I like the big band music, I like the crooners, I like the voices like Ella Fitzgerald and uh, the Mills Brothers, you know, and I listen to them and, until I, I get drowsy and I play a game of solitaire and then I'm gone, okay? But I discovered something. The next morning... When I get up, the first thing that's in my head is Frank Sinatra singing, Come fly with me. (laughs) Because what you put in is what's going to come out. And so what you're full of is what you're going to express. And so what we're feeding on becomes the important principle. Now, one of the things I see here in Stephen, I want you to look at it. His response when they finally gave him the floor, here, verse, verse 1 in chapter 7, the high priest said to all these accusations that were being laid against him, he said, are these things so? And so in verse 2, Stephen begins his defense. And for the next 52 verses, he's giving his defense. And what he's doing, first of all, he's refuting the accusations that were being made against him in his opinion or regard to Moses and in his regard to the temple. He addresses those. We can't go through this whole chapter. Time doesn't permit it. But this is what he's doing. He's refuting those accusations. And then he confronts the unbelief and exposes the true condition of the council. This is what got him so angry. He, He was speaking the truth. And what I saw in here, see, beginning in Abraham... He recites the history of God's interaction with Israel. Uh, He goes through the story of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and David. And he quotes, you can count them, 12 portions of Scripture verbatim. He's quoting 
from the Old Testament. He has had the, the Word of God hidden in his heart. And right there in that moment of trial, what's coming out of him? The Word of God. The Scriptures. The understanding of the Word of God. The whole uh, resuscitation. Is that a good word? He recites the whole history of Israel right there in his hour of trial. He got squeezed and that's what came out. The Word of God. He was full of the Word of God. Now I'll tell you something, that's, that's crying need for every believer is to be filled with the Word of God. Is there any wonder that he was full of the power of God? Because he was full of the Spirit and full of the Word of God. His mind was full and renewed to God's thinking. The soul that's daily washed by the water of the Word and maintains a fellowship with the Holy Spirit is the soul that gets transformed. This is our walk in the walk of sanctification with the Holy Spirit. This right here. See, to change our lives, to be transformed. If you, know, if you want to change, you have to change your thinking. You have to change your thinking. You know, Susan and I have been counseling, or at least we head her over to counsel. Uh, I have a barber that cuts my hair, and of course I've been hearing her story for a long time. And, you know, when you, the, people trust you because you're nice, aren't you? You're, you're a nice guy, Rob. And, you know, people just want to come and they want to pour out all the problems to you. <laughs> and they, they just, they, they give you their whole life. But as they're talking, you realize their thinking's way off. That they're in violation of biblical principle. They're in, they're in rebellion to God and they think they're right because every man's way is right in his own eyes. And you're listening to them and, you're, and, and because they got problems, they're, they're sharing their problems and they want some answers. And, and man, it is so clear to somebody whose mind is full of the principles of God, you just kind of go, ouch, no, you can't be living with this God. No, you're in sin here. No, you know. And we all proclaim our righteousness, you see. And this, this poor girl, bless her heart. <laughs> I can't call her name, but uh, she's got problems. And she calls the other day or she texts us the other day. And she's just in the middle of a big crisis. Well, we were trying to warn her. You've got to get your thinking and your life lined up with truth. So what you're feeding on is developing our values, our responses. You know, the Bible tells us how to respond. The Bible tells us how to act. The Bible tells us what to say. Let the weak, don't say, God, I'm so weak. No, let the weak say, I am strong. Don't say I'm but a youth. Don't say I'm, I'm, I'm uneducated. I can't be used of God. Don't. See, the Bible even tells us what to say. It tells us what to think. It tells us how to respond. It tells us how to live. And when I line up with this, it cleanses my character because my obedience and your obedience to the truth of Scripture, this is the renewing of the mind that's taken place. And the Holy Spirit, this is why the Word of God is absolutely vital for the transformation of our lives. The formula, there's a one formula. You know the chapter and you know the verse. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Don't be conformed to this world. Now, we are bombarded 
with the values of this world. We're bombarded with the pleasures and the entertainments of this world and the things that are feeding our minds, everything from the news, or should I say the fake news? The fake news to the entertainment is projecting thinking upon us and we're feeding that food and that is going to transform our soul to be like the world, to be conformed to the world. But the rest of the verse is, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, good thinking, bad thinking. I I didn't bring my stack of movies. (laughs) You know, I was, Susan was uh, in a shop the other day, and right next door to the shop uh, there Tuesday morning is uh, a little thrift store. So I go into the thrift store because I wanted to sort through and look through some DVDs. Because at our house, see, we always want a a nice, clean, fun, nice story. And we watch them about 50 times. And so (laughs) I can quote whole scenes to you out of the sound of music, you know. I, I know the words before they come. Because we're watching the same movies over and over and over again because there's not much else to feed on out there, my friend. And so when, I, when I'm in the thrift store, I'll start, you know, see what I'm And I started looking at the covers. Every one of the covers of movies today either has on it some violent character, some gun, some murder, some monster. I don't, I don't ever get, I don't understand horror movies. They, you feed on horror movies and it only fertilizes the fear in your life. And we wonder why we have so many medications for anxiety. Well, it, it's the diet, <laughs> my friend. Why do we have high blood pressure? Well, it's, the, it's what we're feeding on. It's what we're eating. And so we can have right thinking and this become our feeding ground. Or we can be conformed to the world and just do everything that the world does. I'm meddling good. I know because this is a constant. It's a constant. You know, and there are, you know, I can give you some tips, you know. One, you cut your cable, you know. <laughs> I, don't understand why, I don't understand why people want to watch that many commercials anyway, you know. How far can I meddle here before I get... <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, at the end of the day, sometimes uh, we're just really just too tired to study, too tired to read, your eyes are burning, you had quite a day, and you just want something to unwind to, you know, today on the internet, I mean, you don't have to watch some R-rated movie, but today on the internet, you can get YouTube videos of uh, revival, uh, good preaching, good teaching, uh, just wonderful things that will actually feed your soul, that will actually do a good thing, you see? So, there's plenty of those kind of tips of how can I feed myself on the truth of God and not the things of this world? And I need to move along here. I need a little soapbox, and you'll know when I'm on it and when I'm off of it. Oh, you know, uh, this morning I was going through, uh, gosh, this is so good. And I, and I know you've all read this, this psalm, and it's the longest psalm. It's Psalm 119. And I wrote down a few things about Psalm 119, uh, and it's all about uh, the Word of God. It's all meditations and prayers 
relating to the Word of God. And as I went through this, I began to count uh, how many times uh, different words are used. And the word meditate, the Word of God, is used seven times in this psalm. And then there are about 40 to 50 requests, prayers, petitions that the psalmist is writing uh, and, or speaking and singing to God. And uh, some of them, like, open my eyes to behold wonderful things in thy word. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Do not hide your commandments from me. Revive me according to your word. That's found eight times. Teach me your ways. That's seven times in this one psalm alone. Give me understanding four times. And then there was all these different requests. Strengthen me according to thy word. Incline my heart to your word. Sustain me by your word. Establish your word in me. Redeem me according to your word. Save me according to your word. Rescue me according. Deliver me by your word, O God. And there is a seeking, asking, knocking heart before God for truth to be revealed to the soul of this psalmist. Now, meditation... And then, request. The kingdom of God is accessed by petition. And so, you know, you say, well, I'm having a hard time understanding the word. Well, I'll tell you what. Pray this psalm out about every day. <laughs> you might be surprised what will happen to you when you're requesting of God. Oh, God, open my eyes. Oh, God, give me understanding. Oh, God, incline my heart. Oh, God, give me a hunger. I'll tell you what. Along with the reading of the word, let the petition of the servant of God come forth because God is looking for the prayers to answer. I need a bigger amen than that. Let's see. There we go. Psalm 119. It's a good one. All right, so we see that Stephen was full of the Word. And I believe that was a principle that was just strong in his life that is evident. So what fills our minds will shape our beliefs. It'll shape our speech. It'll shape our behavior. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, is what the Scripture says. Jesus said, out of the, out of the heart of man comes all manner of evil. So what my heart is filled with is what I'm going to express. Now, secondly, Stephen was full of the Spirit. He possessed a fullness, not a portion, but a fullness. And, and we have a command to be filled with the Spirit, to stay full of the Spirit. So, well, if I'm commanded to do that, it's possible for me to do that. It's possible for me to, to drink of the Spirit until I'm full. How do you know when you're full? Well, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you. When you can't talk about anything else. When you can't think about anything else. When you're so full, you start overflowing to others. Listen, some of you just, in, you know, I appreciate the character of, of this man right here. He's here early. Every Sunday, he's ready. I mean, he's, I can see his character. And then if you just talk to him and you, he's like a sermon pinata. <laughs> uh, out of him will come his, his latest meditation and his latest thought. He's full. I love it. And I can tell what somebody's full of by what they're saying with their mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so if all I can talk about is the latest movie out in the lobby, well, that tells me I'm just full of movies. 
If I can talk about sports, all I can say is you're just full of sports. And then there are some folks that seem to always be negative and full of complaining. And I'm not pointing anybody out in this room, okay? I, I'm talking about another church in another, in another galaxy somewhere. So Stephen was full of the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19 says this. Be filled with the Spirit. I like these next words. Speaking to one another. So being filled with the Holy Spirit isn't just something you do on your own. There, there is a community thing that helps you to remain full of the Spirit. And it's our gathering, for one thing. Our worship together. We just got through with a connect group where we sat around in my living room. And we just talked about revival and testimonies. And I'll tell you what, the presence of the Lord just sort of filled our living room and filled our souls. And we walked out of there really pumped up and full. Why? Because we were talking the things of God to one another. There's something about that. Where two come together, Jesus said, I am there in your midst. It creates a place for the presence. When we began to verbalize praise to God, when we began to verbalize testimony, edification to one another, there's a presence that comes. And so we give place to the Spirit of God corporately as well as individually. And we can also give place to the devil. How? Well, complaining seems to draw other grumbling and complaining. Just start talking politics, and before you know it, you've got... You got the you got little demons dancing around you. You're making a place for the devil. You're making a place for complaint. You're making a place for criticism. And this is this is the warning of scripture. Don't give place to that. Watch what you're saying around one another. Watch what you're saying about each other. Someone said that uh, a great eye, great minds uh, meditate and speak ideas. Medium minds. Just talk about events. Small minds talk about people. <laughs> yeah, I gotta be careful. I'm getting deep here. Uh, speak spiritually. You know, here's here's a little tip I've I learned. This really helped me when I walk into a situation, and I'm in a situation where the talk is just. Small, small talk. And there's nothing wrong with small talk, but I'm always shooting for something higher. And uh, I have, we have an opportunity. This is actually the best illustration I can think of this. I've done it many, many times. Is uh, I was teaching some youth before a Sunday morning service in Americus, Georgia, I think. And so we, had, we were down in the Fellowship Hall area of the church. And so I was sitting with some adults, and we're all sitting around talking. The youth meeting was over. Uh, and the worship service hadn't started upstairs yet. And so we're having coffee and having some pastries or whatever. And the talk was just, you know, I think it was about getting, getting pulled over, uh, getting tickets or something. I mean, you know, that, that was, it was just, you know, normal kind of talk. And I'm thinking about, hey, we're going to be in a worship service here in about 15 minutes, you know, and I'm, my heart's drifting up, you know. I'm anxiously awaiting, you know, uh, the, the main service. And so I cut in on the conversation. I said, hey, has anybody here ever seen an angel? And here we went to talking. 
We got to talking about angels, spiritual things, spiritual men. And the whole atmosphere absolutely changed. I told you, you can be a catalyst for change by inserting spiritual talk into any situation. And you can steer it. Or else it'll just go downhill. <laughs> you know? Which a lot of conversations do around carnal people. But this is part of our influence in our worlds. Shining our light in such a way that men can see your good works, hear your good words, and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So these are just little things you, you can learn as you go. Uh, I need to land this here. He was full of the Spirit. So fullness is something that is uh, the normal Christian life, is being full. Jesus said this, I have come that they may have life and have just a little bit of it and mix it up with the world. Right? Now I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, have it abundantly. Paul exhorts us in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18, to know the love of God, the height, the depth, the width of the love of God, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So fullness is the will of God for us. And so when you know you're full, when you start overflowing. In Acts chapter 2, we saw where Peter and John, where Peter said, we can't stop talking about the things we have seen and heard. When your heart is full of the things of God, you can't stop talking about it. That's an indicator of what we're full of. And we can't stop talking about the Lord. I can point out people all over this room here. Just, just keep talking about the Lord. You can't, you can't stop. And don't stop. Don't stop pursuing Him. Don't stop seeking a deeper place. Don't stop knocking. Don't stop asking. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. Now, there's, there's two other things that I saw in, in Stephen's life. It says... When he got through preaching his sermon, which is the biggest sermon in the book of Acts, and they were just totally enraged, he said, I see the Son of God standing up in heaven in the glory of God. He was full of vision, full of vision, and they couldn't handle it. They could not handle the light. And they began to stone him. When he was being stoned, he was seeing the vision. And then I saw one more thing. When he said, Father, don't hold this charge against them. He was full of forgiveness. Not, not just the kind of forgiveness that says, well, I forgive you, but man, one day you're going to face the judgment of God. That's not total forgiveness. Total forgiveness says, God... I have been hurt and I have been offended by this person, but God, mark it off, mark it off their, their credit. What's the word I want? Their record. Mark it off the record. That's, that's the heart of God. He was full of the mercies of God. And the more we are full of the mercy of God, the more our capacity for the mercies and the graces of God we make in our lives. And so, the word fullness, full of the word, full of the spirit, full of vision, full of forgiveness. Stephen is a powerful Christian example for our Christian character. And it's our lesson to be people that are filled. Let's say, I'm filled. 
Hey, listen, if you're here this morning and I, I pulled um, one of the some of these out, uh, you know, everybody has the command to be filled with the spirit. If you haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit, you don't speak with other tongues. That's a, we're just a charismatic church. We believe in the gifts of the spirit. We believe that speaking in tongues is a powerful, the most powerful kind of praying you can pray. It is a gift from heaven. It is a gift, a manifestation of the Holy Spirit that you have in your life. It is a greater release of the Holy Spirit in your soul. If you haven't had that experience yet, this is the place to get hands laid on you and get prayed for, just like in the Scripture, to receive power of the Holy Spirit in your life and to receive a greater release, a greater fullness of the Spirit into your soul. And so I yank these out of the back room about the Holy Spirit and you. And if, and if that's you, and there's a thirsting in your soul, in your heart, for a greater fullness of the Spirit of God, you may need some instruction. I got some right here. If you're ready for some prayer, we got it right here. Amen. So let's stand up together. Ha! Ha! Don't you, you know, the presence of the Lord is in the house. Why don't we lift our hands? I can sense the presence of God here. It's just like sometimes you, 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 you feel God say amen. <laughs> he says amen to his word. And Lord, we want a greater fullness of you. Lord, we, we want our faces to be like the face of an angel, Lord, when we are confronted. Lord, when we are abused, when we are offended. Lord, we want to be those people that you have so cleansed. Do a work in us, Holy Spirit, and let the Word of God do a work in us. Revive us according to your Word. Cleanse us according to your Word. Take out every unglorious thing in us, Lord, that we can be the best representatives we can be. Now flood us. Now you can drink of the Spirit right where you're at. Just flood me, Lord. Flood my mind. Flood my emotions this morning. Fill my soul this morning. I drink of you this morning, Spirit of God. I receive you and a greater release in my soul and in my life. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Sunday's sermon. Be sure to visit ChristianRenewalHHI.org for more resources.